Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco free. It's nicotine free. It's even sugar free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. 
All right, let's go ahead and get started here on the Jesse Kelly program. How is everybody doing today? Jesse has the day off, so he let me have the big chair for the day. It is BK here. That's right, your guy, host of the acclaimed podcast, World News with BK. If you guys have been listening to Jesse for a while, you've probably heard me sit in from time to time and also usually make an appearance about every Tuesday. Uh, Jesse has a day off. He asked me if I could take over for the day, and I, of course, jumped at the chance to do it like I always do. Uh, if you're not familiar with me, a little bit about me. I'm a former uh, Air Force pararescueman, a veteran like Jesse was. Uh, I spent uh, seven years in the military, six and a half, seven years, and then after that I was doing overseas contracting in various unpleasant spots around the globe. For about eight to nine years, and now I do a weekly podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, all the rest. And it's primarily concerned with world news, conflict, uh, politics, everything else that's going on in the United States, and of course those fringe stories that I know all of you guys love so much about the various horrible things human beings uh, do to each other. If you guys want to, you can keep up with me on Twitter, at Bravo Kilo Actual for breaking news throughout the week. And you can check out my Instagram at BK Actual. I've got some cool military photos up there and do a lot of other stuff on Instagram like fitness tips and uh, my basically my ocean lifestyle as I live my days here in San Diego, California, where I'm coming at you as we speak. Uh, depending on where this show catches you, I know it airs in various markets throughout the day, but... I hope you guys all tune in and check out the podcast sometime. I think you'll enjoy it. And why don't we get started here on the show with kind of a rare event, and we're going to go international news, of course. And let's talk about this president of Chad. That's right. I'm one of the few podcasts that covers Africa on a weekly basis. And the leader there and why it's a rare event was actually killed in battle. That's right. His name was Idris Debe. And he ruled Chad with an iron fist for three decades. And he just secured his sixth term in office. He, ha- he was considered by the United States and the rest of the West as a crucial ally in the fight against Islamic extremism in Central Africa. And yes, now, just after the announcement came that he had won his sixth term, He was actually dying on a battlefield north of the capital of Nijamena. Sorry, guys, these African names are challenging. Of wounds sustained while fighting rebels trying to overthrow his government. And that was announced uh, Tuesday. Now, he was a feared figure, and they think that his death could spark a battle for succession. And this is a big loss in a country heavily relied upon, like I said, by us in the wars against these Islamist extremists in West and Central Africa. Now, if you didn't know, and who does, Chad is a desert nation three times the size of California. It's pretty massive, and it's surrounded on all sides by countries facing all kinds of instability. They've got Libya to the north, Nigeria to the south, and the Chadian military forces have been key to the war in what's called the Sahel. That is the vast stretch of territory that is just south of the Sahara. And of course, the fight against Boko Haram and all the splinter groups are 
very much in play in the region. So for that reason, he did enjoy the support of the United States and France, uh, despite all kinds of political oppression of his political opponents. Uh, He was 68 years old, and news of the death was broadcast to the nation on state television by a group of military officers who also announced, by the way, that the president's son would succeed him and head a transitional military council that would lead to new elections in 18 months. So there's there's kind of some questions surrounding his death, including how exactly he was killed, and why was he at these front lines? Again, unusual for a head of state. You usually leave that up to your fighting forces. So his son, who will now... Uh, take power, is named Mahamat Idris Dibi. And he is 37 years old, and that is already turning into a crap show over there because that uh, violates the Chadian Constitution, which specifies that the president of the National Assembly, or failing that, the first vice president should take over when a president dies. And some analysts are calling this a coup d'etat. So on the same day as the presidential election, which was April 11th, rebels crossed the northern border from Libya. And those rebels were from a group called the Front for Change and Concord in Chad. (laughs) I love the flowery names that the rebel groups always come up with. But they did move southward in several columns, and uh, they said, yeah, we're on our way to the capital of Chad. And uh, so... They said, uh, this can't happen. Now, France's top politicians did pay tribute to this ally. And they said that uh, France lost a courageous friend. And a spokesman even referred to him that a spokesman for President uh, Emmanuel Macron did call him that, in in quotes, a courageous friend. And called him a reliable partner who worked relentlessly for the security of his country. The African Union said they were mourning the loss of a champion of Africa's endeavors to provide a peaceful, secure, and stable column. So, a little bit about what we know, according to one general named General Stephen Townsend. That's the top American commander for Africa. And he was testifying to Congress in Washington on Tuesday. He did say the circumstances uh, surrounding Dibby's death were very murky. He told the House Armed Services Committee, did General Townsend, quote, he's a retired general and he has in the past gone to the front. We don't know exactly how he got killed, end quote. Uh, General Townsend said that a combination of Chadian and French forces confronted one of those rebel columns and as it appeared to be withdrawing, the uh, bee was killed. And uh, they say this is kind of a self-inflicted error by France. Like, hey, you didn't need to uh, confront these guys if, if you didn't want to. But uh, I guess they felt they had to. Now... The uh, Chadians were fighting uh, also that, you know, they've been known to fight around. Uh, They fought under the Libyan commander Khalifa Hifter. You guys remember him? He was the guy who launched the campaign to seize the Libyan capital of Tripoli in 2019. But since the fighting in Libya died down last year, 
and that tentative UN-backed peace process took root, some of the mercenaries fighting there started to go home. So it's been pretty crazy over in Africa. And like I said, I'm one of the few guys covering it. Uh, and you guys should definitely keep up with the podcast. So you uh, be sure to check that out. And just before the time breaks, guys, like I said, I like to st- I, I, I'm going to skip around a little bit today. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we wait until the break? Because um, I do want to get through some other stories, and I have some hilarious stories. I want you guys to stick around, enjoy it with me. I've got some domestic stuff. We're going to get into all the uh, shootings that have been happening in America. I've got many more international stories for you. And, of course, uh, some business news. Cover the business world quite a bit on the podcast. We're going to get caught up with that. And we're going to get into some workout stuff and some great military stories as well. And so you guys stick around for this. And I really appreciate, once again, Jesse letting me sit in the big chair, going coast to coast. A little bit weird what I'm used to because there's like hard time hacks that I have to hit. So I I hope I do uh, do a good job and you guys stick around. We'll be back here on the Jesse Kelly Show. Guess who just got a thank you text? That would be me. Why? Family member struggling with allergies. We were talking about some family event we had coming up and he brought it up to me. He said, man, I'll tell you, my allergies are killing me. You should see the pollen back here. I said, yeah, you should should see the pollen down here too. It's really bad, but my allergies aren't bothering me at all. And I told him why. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm has taken care of that problem for me. You understand, I used to go to the pharmacy and get those allergy pills that you buy. I'd take two or three at a time, I'm embarrassed to say. I don't take anything anymore. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm will handle that for you. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. That's EdenPureDeals.com. Use the code word JESSE at checkout. That actually gets you 10 bucks off. All right, back here on the Jesse Kelly program. BK here sitting in for Jesse. Appreciate you guys sticking around with me. Let's keep going with our world news and let's go to Indonesia. If you haven't heard, there's a Indonesian naval submarine that has gone missing here. The last contact with this submarine came at 3 a.m. local time on Wednesday. And then this submarine just kind of disappeared. It's somewhere deep in the waters off the island of Bali in the Pacific Ocean. And uh, by that evening, the Indonesian Ministry of Defense had tracked down only one possible sign of the missing vessel. Uh, It was a broad oil slick found in the area where the submarine began its dive north of Bali. That's not good. There were 53 souls on board. And they think that this oil slick could be evidence of the submarine's distress from a crack in the hull. 
Now, such cracking is highly unusual, but can occur, obviously, with a sudden change of pressure, which happens with submarines. But the last request made by the submarine, which is known as the KRI Nangala 402, was for permission to descend to a deeper part of the Bali Sea in order to fire torpedoes for naval drills. Uh, So the request was granted. Contact with the submarine was lost after that. Now, it's not like a very new submarine. It was actually built in 1977 in Germany. It was refitted in 2012. Um, The Nangala was last fully maintained in May of 2018, whatever that means. It's about 196 feet long, more than 19 feet wide, and it was only built to hold... 34 crew members, according to this article I'm skimming at the New York Times. And that's according to specs provided by the Navy during a previous training session. So it's not clear why the vessel had more people on board. And uh, perhaps that might have something to do with it. Who knows? Uh, There might be some sort of lack of SOP, standard operating procedure, going on over there. So two Indonesian naval ships are using sonar to search for the missing vessel, including one of the ships that was deployed earlier this year to search for the flight recorders of that Indonesian jet that crashed in January. You guys have been listening to the podcast. You remember that. And we'll see uh, if, if it comes up. Navies from neighboring nations like Austria and Singapore have been alerted and will join the search. Now, you know, Indonesia is a archipelago country that is a country of thousands of inhabited islands. And it is the world's largest such nation, but its Navy is poorly funded. Now, submarine accidents are pretty rare. Uh, In the year 2000, a Russian naval submarine sank to the seabed after an explosion on board. All 118 people died. And... That was after rescue teams took days to gain access to the submarine and oxygen ran out for the 23 sailors who had survived that blast. And then I remember this one because I covered it. In 2017, the Argentinian Navy submarine went missing with 44 people on board after what was thought to be an electrical malfunction and its wreckage was found a year later. So... Miraculous rescues have occurred, though. In 2005, seven sailors on board a small Russian Navy sub that was trapped in a fishing net were freed just hours before their auction would have run out. So they're keeping their fingers crossed. And as far as uh, the United States, we're getting involved. Apparently, we are sending airborne assets to help search for this submarine. That was according to Pentagon Press Secretary uh, John Kirby on Thursday. So, yeah, they're still looking for this thing, uh, and it doesn't sound so good. Meanwhile, let's go over to more conflict news, and we've been watching this one carefully. Let's talk about this Russian mass of troops on the Ukraine border. Uh, Well, it seems that maybe cooler heads are starting to prevail. Russia's defense ministry have ordered a partial pullback of troops from the border with Ukraine on Thursday. And 
this is hopefully a de-escalation in that military standoff because that had raised significant alarms, uh, not only with NATO, but with the United States. And this pullback came a day after President Vladimir Putin in an annual State of the Nation address rattled off a list of grievances against Western nations, including the threat of new sanctions by the Biden administration. So he had... uh, Putin had warned against crossing this Russian line and the huge buildup on the Ukrainian border was in place while he spoke. And this was like, you know, freaking out the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO. And uh, yeah, the Russian defense minister, Sergei Shoigu, had called the buildup a test of Russian military uh, Russian military's readiness. He said the units deployed to the border had shown their capabilities and should now return to the regular positions. So I guess, uh, all right, I guess that's that then. <laughs> uh, everybody's just a peacock, just uh, fluttering the feathers, aren't they? That's it. And meanwhile, in Iran, let's go over there. I've been covering how Iran has been the kind of getting sabotaged lately. It's been a, a couple of them in a row. In less than nine months, we had an assassin on a motorbike who fatally shot an Al-Qaeda commander given refuge in Tehran. And then we had that chief nuclear scientist who was machine gunned on that country road by like automatic machine guns. And then those two separate mysterious explosions that hit a key Iranian nuclear facility in the desert. Uh, And that really struck the heart of the country's efforts to enrich uranium. Now, these attacks are being blamed on Israel. And I think they're feeling a little pressure in Tehran. And they're seemingly scratching their heads, wondering... At this ease with which Israeli intelligence is able to just reach out right inside Iran's borders and touch whoever they want. And it's often with the help of turncoat Iranians. And uh, so, yeah, it's not good. It, from, from Iran's point of view, it's not good. The head of Parliament's strategic center said Iran had turned into a, quote, a haven for spies, end quote. And the former commander of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps has called for an overhaul of the country's security and intelligence apparatus. And most alarming was that all these attacks reveal that Israel has an effective network of collaborators inside Iran and that Iran's intelligence services had failed to find them, and this is seen as like you know hugely embarrassing uh, for a country that prides itself on their scary uh, revolutionary uh, guard corps. So you know, not too scary to me, but uh, yeah, there you go. And then finally, guys, quickly before the break, uh, do you remember the Times Square subway bomber? This is way back in 2017, and this was uh, Aikayad Ula. 31 years old. Well, he was a Bangladeshi immigrant, and he's the guy who was convicted of setting off a pipe bomb strapped to his chest during rush hour in New York City's Times Square subway station. Well, he has been sentenced to life in prison. So (laughs) he detonated his uh, 
bomb. The bomb materials had come from a nearby construction site where he worked as an electrician, but the bomb largely failed. Oh, but it did give him severe burns, so congratulations, idiot. And you're going to prison for life now. Wow. Good job, buddy. Ugh. Thankfully, they're too incompetent to live. Uh, all right, guys. We'll be back here with more on the Jesse Kelly program. Stick around. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. All right, let's continue here on the Jesse Kelly Show. BK, sitting in with you guys. Appreciate you hanging out with me. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Afghanistan. And I know I talked about this a little bit last week, and I spent a lot of time on it, but since it is such a seminal part of so many of our lives, I thought it would be worth it to talk about it again. And hell, some of you listening probably weren't even born when this first happened and went down. So it's worth reviewing a little bit about Afghanistan, where it came from, why are we there, why were we there, and what's happening now? Well, and this is, of course, in the news because President Joe Biden has promised he will have all American troops out of Afghanistan by September 11th. Now, I, before I even get into what I want to talk about, I have a bone to pick with September the September 11th date. Like, obviously, he and his team workshopped this. And you know what? September 11th has one date and one date only, and it's the sacred date on a day when thousands of Americans were killed in a cowardly terrorist attack on our soil. And I don't feel like it's really appropriate to also tie the end of the war in Afghanistan to September 11th. You know what I mean? Am I, am I out of bounds here? I feel that there should be one date that September 11th is known for in one specific date. That is September 11th, 2001. And I don't really care for them now tying the day of September 11th to the actual withdrawal of Afghanistan, if that makes sense. It just doesn't sit right with me. But as a longtime critic of the war in Afghanistan and as a veteran in the war of Afghanistan, I have long advocated for us to get out of there. There's clearly nothing more we can do and I feel badly, as I've said many times, for the people of Afghanistan, many of whom just want to live their lives 
And instead, they have all these nutcases running all over the country, whether it's the Taliban, whether it's Al-Qaeda, whether it's ISIS, whether it's the local militias, whether it's the corrupt Afghan government. And they're all fighting out. And of course, like usual, the people are caught in the middle. But that doesn't mean that I want any of my friends or my family or anybody else I know going over there and getting killed, maimed, scarred for life, PTSD, because of a hopeless quagmire that has no end in sight. And indeed, it's been 20 years. So, you know, it is time to come home. And it wasn't supposed to even be this long. So Biden said the roughly 2,500 to 3,500 remaining American troops would be back home by the anniversary of September 11th. And, you know, it depends when you say withdraw, take it with a huge grain of salt. I mean, obviously, for one thing, we have an embassy there. So we're always going to have, with any diplomatic mission, we're always going to have some troops there, some kind of quick reaction force. I'm sure we'll still have CIA people there and all of our contractors. I have many good friends who are over there right now as contractors. And I'm sure they will all stay there too. So when he says withdraw, you know, again, big, big air quotes there. But of course, we did attack, invade Afghanistan weeks after Al-Qaeda attacked us on September 11, 2001. And... Uh, That was when George W. Bush said the Taliban, which then governed most of Afghanistan, had rejected his demand to turn over those al-Qaeda leaders, including Osama bin Laden, who had planned the attacks from bases inside Afghanistan. So Operation Enduring Freedom was launched, and by December 2001, we had already kind of routed them. Uh, Osama bin Laden had fled to safety in Pakistan, American forces did not pursue them, and then Pakistan kind of evolved into this safe haven for Taliban commanders and fighters, and they, in subsequent years, would cross the border to attack American and Afghan forces. Indeed, in May 2003, remember, Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld announced an end to major combat operations in the country, but... You know, we tried to pivot like we always do because we don't learn history. We don't learn from our failures in the past. And we pivoted to rebuilding a failed state and trying to establish this Western-style democracy. And that involved us spending trillions of dollars. And Afghanistan was already a soup sandwich at that point. They had already been uh, dealing with the Soviet occupation, who were far more brutal than we were, of course. And uh, they had huge problems with it. I mean, we did a few things. We tried to build a few hospitals, a few schools, get girls back to school, stuff like that. But the corruption was rampant, probably too much to overcome. If you'd listen to the podcast, I did a few famous stories on some of the, uh, the infamous black hole projects that tens of millions went into with nothing to show for it. And uh, it was just pretty bad. And then in 2003, after the end of major combat uh, operations were declared, is when we kind of shifted everything over to Iraq because that was the war in Iraq was launched in March of 2003. So while we were busy in Iraq, the Taliban started rebuilding their fighting capabilities. Uh, They were doing a uh, counterinsurgency. And finally, it got so bad they were winning so much territory that uh, then President Barack Obama took the infamous surge when he deployed thousands more troops into Afghanistan. It reached nearly 100,000 troops by mid-2010. But the Taliban only grew stronger. They took more and more uh, territory. 
And then in May 2011, the U.S. Navy SEAL team killed Osama bin Laden in a compound in Abbottabad, Pakistan. And Obama, right after that, announced that he would start bringing American forces home. Then that should have been it, really. I mean, the, the guy who was responsible for the attack on the Twin Towers, he, he was gone. And that should have been the end of it. And even then, the Pentagon had already concluded that the war could not be won militarily. That's it. And so Obama ended major combat operations on December 31st, 2014. And that's when it transitioned to training and assisting security forces. Then, but of course, we stayed around, right? And then it was Trump. And he had a chance. And he talked about ending the war. But... He still didn't do it. The Trump administration did start talking to the Taliban. That started in 2018. That led to formal negotiations. That excluded, by the way, the Afghan government, led by President Ashraf Ghani. And then finally, in February of 2020, the Trump administration did sign that agreement with the Taliban that called for all American forces to leave Afghanistan by May 1st, 2021. And in return the Taliban pledged to cut ties with terrorist groups such as Al-Qaeda and the ISIS, Islamic State affiliate in Afghanistan, and reduce violence. Uh, and then they also promised to negotiate with that hated Afghan government. But remember, the Trump administration is part of that deal, and I, I remember covering this heavily, pressured Ashraf Ghani to release those 5,500 Taliban prisoners, and they really didn't get a lot in return. So that really alienated the uh, Afghan government. So now, the, if you're the Taliban, what do you do? You see, you see the U.S. is leaving. You know the Afghan government is not going to be able to, you know, keep it up, which is sad and pathetic because it's been now damn near 20 years of us training, equipping doing all the things we can do, including an air force. But as I've seen firsthand in Afghanistan and Iraq, the feeling seems to be for whatever reason that if the U S isn't there to hold their hand, the maintenance doesn't get done. The just the professionalism is not there. And we can see that with the Taliban hitting the fighting positions, of the Afghan government, and just in general, overwhelming them because they believe in the cause. The Taliban believe in the cause. The Afghan government soldiers who are often undertrained, under-equipped, poorly motivated, just don't. And so who do you think is going to win that fight? And after we said we were going to leave, by the way, NATO said that its 7,000 troops in Afghanistan would also start pulling back. So the, the, the future of Afghanistan for the Afghan people does look grim more after this break on the Jesse Kelly Show. BK here with you. Jake's Mint Chew is the way to make quitting dipping bearable. And I am not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you, oh, quitting dipping ain't bad. It's it's easy. If you're thinking about quitting, yes, quit. 
Yeah, everyone knows that. Quit. Jake's Mint Chew is what you need to get you through it. Because otherwise, it's rough. I even tried the nicotine patch. I tried it all. Nothing worked for me because nothing gave me that transition. When I eat a meal, that was my time. When I would eat a meal, I would have a dip every single time after I got done eating. Well, when I would finish a meal, putting a nicotine patch on my arm doesn't give me that fix of something in my lip. Only Jake's Mint Chew does that. And it's tobacco-free and it's nicotine-free. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Use the promo code JESSE at checkout. That gets you 20% off. All right, continuing the Jesse Kelly Show. BK here with you guys. Uh, last segment, we were talking about Afghanistan a little bit. And just a little follow-up. I thought I found this story. I thought that was pretty fascinating. From the Justice Department, who I follow on Twitter, by the way. Great Twitter follow if you guys ever want to kind of see the types of cases the Justice Department of the United States is prosecuting. Some pretty interesting stuff comes across that feed. And how about this one? Here's the... Headline of the press release, six language recruiters indicted for recruiting unqualified linguists for deployment with U.S. armed forces in Afghanistan. How about this? A federal grand jury did come out with an indictment charging six former employees of a government contractor for their role in a conspiracy to commit wire fraud uh, in connection with the U.S. government contract to recruit and deploy qualified linguists to Afghanistan where they were supposed to provide language services in Dari and Pashto to the U.S. military. And uh, I'm not going to read off all the names, but uh, most of them were for California. Most of them were from California, Virginia. Uh, they do sound like uh, you know Afghan names, people who would speak uh, Dari and Pashto. But they were employed as linguist recruiters for a contractor, right? And the indictment alleges that the defendants knowingly recruited linguists who lacked the minimum language proficiency, and then the defendants would arrange for other individuals with stronger language skills to fraudulently impersonate the unqualified linguist candidates during oral proficiency interviews, (laughs) which were tests independently conducted by another government contractor to ensure that candidates identified by the defendants met these proficiency Standards. So, what they were trying to make it appear that the linguist candidates possessed stronger language skills than was reality, obviously, and that their unqualified candidates would receive passing scores. Oh, even better, at times the defendants themselves fraudulently impersonated candidates during interviews. So I'm assuming that this is some kind of family enrichment scheme, because my first question is, why wouldn't you just take the test? I know you're working as a recruiter, but, you know, the money's probably a lot better. Maybe they didn't want to go to Afghanistan. I don't know. Uh, But, yeah, they said this was an indictment to uh, enrich themselves at the expense of the American taxpayer, which it certainly was. Uh, anything else in here about this? Who they got in here? No, that's the only, that's the only bad part is usually it's just a press release and they don't have any of the good detail. 
Now, let's go to something a little bit more amusing. Uh, again, covered on the podcast last week. I have an important update. Uh, and I have many Canadian listeners of the podcast. And basically, uh, a little uh, uh, last week, there was a little scandal in Canada when a member of Canada's House of Commons, one of their Houses of Parliament, basically appeared on a members-only Zoom meeting, and he was nude. That's right. He did not know his camera was on. And somehow, this was not open to the public, key point here, but this dude's nude picture ends up, as these things are wont to do, on social media. And and then they start an investigation going, how did this end up on social media? Who did this? Because this was only other uh, elected officials. Well, we do have an update because a member of Canada's House of Commons was forced to apologize for having taken that nude photo of his colleague during that Zoom call. So this lawmaker was a member of the Bloc Québécois named Sébastien Lemire. And he did acknowledge having taken the photo of William Amos. That's the Liberal Party who was nude. And, uh, oh, and then then Lemire, the guy who took the picture, he said, oh, no, I don't know how that ended up on social media. Okay, well, <laughs> that, that's a complete lie, obviously. So just if you guys weren't familiar with the story, uh, Amos, the nude guy, said he had been changing into his work clothes after a jog, and he'd been unaware that the camera on his computer was on. Now, other lawmakers could see this, but again, this was a private Zoom call, so the video was not streamed publicly. And if you know how Zoom works, he wasn't speaking at the time, so uh, you'd have to like you know look at his little box because he's not speaking; and it doesn't pop up into the main feed. So he did say the Lumiri guy, the guy who took the photo, he did apologize. Uh, but uh, he's full of crap because he says he has no idea how the photo made its way into the media. Well, clear if it's private and you're the only one and you took the photo, who else would be putting it out on social media? Oh, he's such a liar. Yeah, and you know he's a kind of uh, it was it was an amusing story at the time, but like I said, a lot of the other lawmakers were pretty upset that. Somebody, you know, took this photo of an unwearing, an unknowing person nude and uh, uploaded the image to social media. And by the way, the revenge porn law comes into play, right? And by the way, I don't think it would have been such, uh, such jocularity if it was a female lawmaker. And indeed, Canadian law does forbid publishing, distributing, or making available a, quote, intimate image of a person knowing that the person depicted in the image did not give their consent to that conduct, end quote. So, yeah, this guy should be kicked out of the parliament, in my opinion, and I don't want to hear he doesn't know how it got on social media. That's a complete lie. Okay, guys, got a lot more coming up right back after the break with you. Stick around on The Jesse Kelly Show. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy. Or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, 
your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. All right, guys, BK here back with you finishing up this hour of the Jesse Kelly Show. If you guys have been listening to my podcast, World News with BK, you guys know I like to finish strong. And in one of my favorite stories of the year, I do have an update. And this, of course, was the Michigan home inspector who was caught on the nanny cam... (laughs) regrettably, pleasuring himself using the Elmo doll from Sesame Street. Yes, this is a real story, guys. This is not fake news, and I know, you know, this is radio, so I'm trying to be as delicate as possible. But this is news, and this is a real thing that happened. It was a Michigan home inspector. He was performing his duties, and he was in the nursery, and... The homeowner, the female, got an alert to her phone because she had a nanny cam set up, and she was like, oh, that must be the home inspector. And, uh, yeah, she uh, looks on the phone. He clearly did not know the camera was there, and she said when she looked on the phone, he, uh, he, she saw him kind of, uh, you know, looking a little weird, acting a little funny. She started recording it, and the rest is history. And yes, the Elmo doll was used and abused and then put back in the place, grossly enough. Anyway, the judge is going to decide if he's competent, and uh, that's just one of the great stories of the year. Okay, guys, stick around. More Jesse Kelly Show with your host, BK, after this. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Okay, continuing on the Jesse Kelly Show. How are you guys doing? BK here sitting in for Jesse. Thanks again for letting me fill in. Guys, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual for breaking news. And check out my Instagram at BK Actual. Of course, you can listen to my weekly podcast, World News with BK, on all your streaming services, including Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio. And all the rest, you'll find me going two and a half hours straight every week. No breaks, no editing, solo. I'm the only guy with the mental capacity to do that. The steel trap mind, you guys. The ab veins, the tan, glorious. Not found anywhere in nature other than on my body. Getting ready for the San Diego summer. And that's how we do it every single week 240 something episodes and counting i feel pretty comfortable saying it's the longest 
veteran-hosted news podcast in existence. Definitely the solo one. You guys know how podcasts are. It's like every podcast is like five bros sitting around like yammering at each other. I'm the only guy who's capable of doing it on my own, and everybody knows it. So that's why you got to check it out. And, of course, you can go to Patreon.com and support the podcast by looking for BK Actual. But that's neither here nor there. Let's keep going with our news here. And we're going to get in some domestic stuff, too. It's not all world news, but I want to keep going around the globe. And part of the reason I do world news, you guys, is because I feel it's so criminally underreported, especially in the age of the orange man, you know, when Trump was in office. That's all. That's the the networks were consumed with Trump and they basically ignored everything that was happening all over the world. But let's go over to Egypt really quick. They had a bad train accident over there. A passenger train derailed north of Cairo that killed at least 11 and injured a crap load more, and that's the latest of uh, several deadly rail accidents to hit the country in recent years. And yeah, they've already detained (laughs) a bunch of railway officials, including the train conductor and his assistant, the authorities have. And that comes three weeks after two passenger trains collided killing at least 18 people in that one, and that one injured at least 200 others. They said, prosecutors did, that gross negligence by rail employees was behind that crash. That one was on March 25th. And train wrecks are sadly common in Egypt. You can imagine the railway system there is a history of badly maintained equipment, mismanagement. They've been trying to renovate the system, President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi said that the government needed about $14.1 billion U.S. to overhaul the country's trains. You know, in Egypt, hundreds of train accidents are reported every year. Uh, A few more. In February of 2019, an unmanned locomotive, (laughs) unmanned locomotive, slammed into a barrier inside Cairo's main railway station. That caused a huge explosion and a fire that killed at least 25 people. And that crash prompted the transportation minister to resign. And then in August of 2017, two passenger trains collided just outside the Mediterranean port city of Alexandria. That killed 43 people. But the the granddaddy of them all, Egypt's deadliest train crash was in 2002. And that's when more than, you got ready for this number? 300 people were killed after a fire broke out in an overnight train traveling from Cairo to southern Egypt. So, yeah, don't get on a damn train in Egypt anytime soon, that's for sure. And one more uh, international news story for you. Let's go to the Czech Republic. Rarely talk about them. But they were in the news the last couple days because they blamed a series of mysterious 2014 explosions at Czech ammunition depots on that elite unit of Russia's military intelligence service. That is the unit that Britain linked to the 2018 attack with the nerve agent on a former Russian spy in Salisbury, England. You guys remember that? 
And Prime Minister of the Czech Republic, Andrzej Babis, said at a news conference that his government would respond by expelling 18 Russian diplomats who they identified as spies. And he thinks that this unit, known as Unit 29155, really imaginable. You guys can't come up with a better name than just this set set of numbers. I guess for, like, keeping a low profile, just a boring set of numbers is good. But, like, I would want to, if I'm, like, a Russian spy and I'm going to other countries and, you know, killing, assassinating people and blowing up ammo dumps, I would like my unit name to be pretty, like, epic. I mean, you're, you know, you're Russia, right? You're the bears. Not that you could call yourself some form of bear. Like, you know, unit grizzly. Something like that. I mean, come on. Unit 29155. How are you going to make a cool patch out of Unit 29155? It's pretty weak. Uh, However, getting back to the main point, this unit, they said, was involved in those blasts, which did kill two Czechs. Now, this unit did come into light after that attack in Salisbury, England. I remember heavily covering this on the podcast, and that was on the... Russian ex-spy named Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia, and that was using the nerve agent Novichok, and both of them fell gravely ill but later recovered, and Britain did blame that attack on Russian military intelligence, also known as the GRU, and identified two of his agents who traveled under fake names as Alexander Petrov and Ruslan Borshirov as the prime suspects. So yeah, they think these uh, same dudes blew up these ammo dumps and the Czech police did release photographs of the two men who did kind of look like the same two guys who were in Britain uh, with the uh, Novichuk. So man, these guys, are you know, that's kind of a, you know, the loss of life aside, I'm saying it's a pretty glamorous gig, you know, you get, especially if you're Russian. I mean, who wants to be in Russia that long? You go to travel to England, you could travel to Czech Republic, have a few drinks, blow up some ammo dumps. Pretty cool gig, I mean. Uh, anything else in here? Well, the Czech Republic is a member of NATO, and they have expelled Russian diplomats in the past, but they have never ordered as many out as it did this last week. And this came just days after Washington kicked out 10 Russian diplomats over the interference in last year's U.S. presidential elections. Because, and also those, uh, it was also in retaliation for the hacking of the computer systems used by the government agencies, and you guys remember that. So that's what's happening there. Now, Russia did not stand idly by as tensions escalated Russia said, oh, yeah, well, we're going to expel some of your diplomats. And indeed, they announced a few days ago that 20 Czech diplomats would be ejected in response to the other ejection. See how this works? Yeah. And by the way, the Russian foreign ministry, as far as those Czech accusations of blowing up the ammo dump, he called them absurd. And he accused the government of being an American puppet. Yeah. So the expulsions will 
likely pretty much kill the entire Czech diplomatic presence in Russia where they only maintain a few dozen diplomats anyway. So that is it. By contrast, the Russian embassy in Prague, which is the capital of the Czech Republic, is believed to be one of the country's largest in Europe and is used, they say, as a staging area for intel operations. Hmm, very mysterious. More on the Jesse Kelly Show after this break. what sonic technology does get this the eden pure thunderstorm it's yeah it's an air purifier but it's not one that has a filter you have to replace this thing uses sonic technology that produces super oxygen that's really what they call it it purifies the air in your home the same way nature does after a thunderstorm that's why it doesn't cover up odors it eliminates odors. That's why it actually kills deadly viruses and bacteria. No more itchy, watery eyes from allergies either. Oh, it also kills and prevents the spreading of mold and fungus and mildew. My Eden Pure Thunderstorms, well, they've changed things in my house. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. That's EdenPureDeals.com. Use the code word JESSE at checkout. That gets you 10 bucks off. All right, let's keep it going on the Jesse Kelly Show. BK here sitting in with you guys. Thanks, Jesse, for letting me fill in. And let's go to a few military stories and i thought i'd start with this one this is a pretty major one and let's talk about these 51 west point cadets that were caught cheating that's right a bunch of cheaters integrity violators but yeah actually and oh see this is a bad headline at the army times the headline reads 51 but in actuality there were 73 west point cadets accused in the biggest cheating scandal in decades at the U.S. Military Academy. Eight were expelled, and most of them are being required to repeat a year. This is unbelievable. So what happened here? Well, the cadets were accused of cheating on an online freshman calculus exam in May, of course remotely because of the coronavirus and, uh, and pandemic, and an investigation was launched after instructors noticed irregularities in answers. Well, all but one of these cadets were freshmen or plebes in a class of 1,200. One was a sophomore. Now, keep in mind that the honor code that used to exist at West Point Uh, bound the cadets by a promise that, quote, they will not lie, cheat, steal, or tolerate those who do, end quote. This cheating scandal is the biggest at West Point since 1976. And uh, you know what? It's it's absurd, in my opinion, that uh, that, uh, they they should all be kicked out is the bottom line. I mean, I can tell you guys this right now. You guys know my background. 
uh, USAF pararescue, very proud of that. And I can tell you I took many written tests of that between dive school and uh, pararescue school and all the rest, uh, paramedic school. I can tell you without hesitation, if I was caught cheating, I would have been kicked out of United States Air Force pararescue instantly. And I would have had to work pretty hard to stay in the military. And so to me, this is absurd that you're being allowed in. And I just wonder in our new woke military if uh, gender or race has anything to do with this. I'm just wondering. I'm just, I have no proof of that, but it's just very curious that West Point, which is supposed to have this honor code, big air quotes, by the way, now for your honor code that barely exists, and they're going to keep these people in. Why would you do that? So they're going to go out and become future military officers and they're going to be known as integrity violators. And so they, they will look the other way when some of their troops become integrity violators. Is that how it's going to work now? So these 73 cases were investigated by the cadet honor committee. Six cadets resigned during the investigation. Well, at least a few of them had enough honor to do so. Four were acquitted and two cases were dropped. And then most of the cadets were basically turned back one full year after admitting to cheating. So they did admit it. And those cadets are under probation until graduation. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's crap. The Academy did say they are going to end what they call their six-year-old willful admissions process, which was used by 55 cadets and is designed to protect cadets who promptly admit to wrongdoing from being kicked out. Okay, good. So so it sounds like they basically were grandfathered in under some stupid rule. Officials determined the process was not meeting its goal, of increasing self-reporting and decreasing toleration for violations of the honor code. Okay, good. Oh, here we go. 52 of the cadets were athletes. Hmm. Okay, so maybe not race, gender, but athletic privilege? Perhaps, perhaps. Now, I mentioned 1976. There was a, a scandal in that year that involved 153 upperclassmen who either resigned or were expelled for cheating on an electrical engineering exam. How about that? Oh, but the Army appointed a select commission headed by a former astronaut to review the case, and more than 90 of those caught cheating were reinstated and allowed to graduate. So, you know, if you don't have any teeth to a punishment, it's just not going to stick. Uh, A couple other military stories. Sadly, we lost a paratrooper, and uh, this was a a bummer because one, she was only, it was a she, this was specialist Abigail Jenks. Uh, She was only 21 years old, and she did post a picture just moments before jumping out of a Black Hawk helicopter at Fort Bragg. It was like her last picture ever. How about that? It was a static line jump, which, of course, if you didn't know, a static line, uh, the chute is deployed via a cord that's attached to the inside of the aircraft on one end and the top of the skydiver's deployment bag on the other. Now, this type of jump is not to be confused with a halo jump or high-altitude low opening. These are 
These jumps are done uh, at very low altitude, 800 to 1,200 feet. And although they're nominally safer because, you know, you actually have a cord that's pulling the parachute out of the bag, but the thing is, if something goes wrong with these, you have about five seconds till you hit the deck to pull that reserve. And uh, people do die on these static line jumps. Now, we don't really have any uh, information about what happened. It'll probably be a few weeks while they do an investigation. But yeah, she did put out a self. I'm looking at her selfie right here. Ugh, God. It's a bummer. So, yeah, lost a paratrooper. These things happen, and unfortunately, with airborne operations. And then, how about this story? The Air Force is going to court martial a general for the first time in their 74 year history. And this is Major General William Cooley. And, uh, yeah, he's a father of three, been in the Air Force more than 20 years. He was accused of forcibly kissing and touching a woman on August 12, 2018 in Albuquerque, New Mexico, home of Kirtland Air Force Base, the Pararescue School. How about that? Hmm. Yeah, they uh, said in a statement uh, that they did a comprehensive review of all the evidence, and they did come to this decision. So they've already like looked at some stuff and says, "Yeah, this uh, this has to go forward." Wow. Uh, he's got a few awards. He joined the Air Force out of the ROTC in 1988, and he was promoted to Major General in July 2018. Now, yeah, the, so, some of the activists are putting this into perspective. They said the overall prosecution rate of sex assault among the Air Force is only 4%. So that means 96% of the time these cases don't even go to trial. But the Air Force's decision to send this to an actual court-martial makes them believe, at least, that uh, there's something here. Uh, Cooley had been relieved of his command of the Air Force Research Laboratory at the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. They don't really have any other details about the uh, actual assault itself. So we'll just have to wait and see. And uh, guys, quickly before the break, uh, on a more uh, amusing note, uh, by the way, Sweden is facing a sperm deficit as the pandemic has kept sperm donors away from their clinics. They have an acute shortage of sperm for assisted pregnancy, you guys, and they've never had as few donors of the, as they've had during the last year. So the, now the shortage has meant waiting times for assisted pregnancy have shot up from about six months to an estimated 30 months for the past year. So... You guys, you got to go over to Sweden and uh, have to help them out there and uh, replenish their stocks, if you will. We'll be back with more on the Jesse Kelly Show after this message. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? 
When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. All right, cruising along here on the Jesse Kelly Show. BK, here you guys. Thanks for hanging out. Let's uh, go ahead and talk about what's been happening on some of these criminal trials lately, and let's go to the George Floyd case. I'm sure Jesse has probably already talked about this week, but uh, why don't we just do a quick review about it and talk about the verdict that Derek Chauvin received. Now, they did find him guilty of all three counts he was facing, and he was facing second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and manslaughter for the crime of pinning George Floyd, George Floyd's neck to the asphalt with his knee until he stopped breathing. Uh, so uh, basically the second-degree murder charge is, is basically causing the death of a human being without intent while committing or attempting to commit an assault. And then third-degree murder is unintentionally causing a death by committing an act that is eminently dangerous to other persons while exhibiting a depraved mind with reckless disregard for human life. And manslaughter is creating an unreasonable risk by consciously taking the chance of causing death or great bodily harm to someone else. Okay, so that's what he was found guilty of. And just before I continue, uh, I, I did agree that he, he definitely killed the guy. I mean, you know, once the guy is down on the ground, you don't have to think George Floyd is a great guy. And believe me, I found the I've, I have found the deification of George Floyd over the last year or so uh, pretty nauseating. Especially the the salute. I, I will never get over the flag draped coffin and the salute by the Houston Police Department of his funeral. That was that's like an honor reserved for like you know cops or military guys who were killed in combat and war. You know, George Floyd's not a great guy. He's a convicted felon. You know, he robbed a pregnant. Everybody knows the story. He's not a great guy. That being said, that can be true. Many things can be true simultaneously. That being said, once the guy's down on the ground in handcuffs, you can't just kneel on somebody's neck while he's obviously dying. And people are telling you on video he's dying and just not do anything about it, especially as a law enforcement officer. And you just can't do it. And in my opinion, one ha- here, if I had to guess... I think that Derek Chauvin, if the crowd wasn't there and if he wasn't on video, I don't think any of this would have happened. I think, honestly, they were yelling at him and they're egging him on, and and he's like the cop, right? He's a 20-year cop, and he's like, you're not going to tell me what to do. And he got all ostentatious. That's why he stuck his hands in his pockets, right? He's like, and he's staring at him, and he's just kneeling. He's like, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm the uh, the big boss of this block. And he would, uh, and and he was going to show that crowd that he was the boss, and in doing so, he cost a man his life, and that's what I, that that's just something I'm speculating. I have no evidence of that, but 
That's just what I think happened. So yeah, and as a police officer, you just can't do that. So I did agree on the conviction, and I knew. I I was like, there's no way he's going to walk. There's absolutely no way, especially with all the pressure, right? So none of those murder charges required the jury to find that Chauvin intended to kill Mr. Floyd. That would have been like a first-degree murder charge. Uh, So they also could have determined a state of mind for Chauvin. The legal term for that is mens rea. That would cover all three charges. So, um, basically, uh, will it be appealed? Probably, I guess. I don't. I, but there's no case. Like, what's your case? They they threw everything they had at it. You know, uh, he's high on fentanyl. And by the way, if I hear one more person say fentanyl, I'm gonna lose my mind. It's not fentanyl. It's fentanyl, with a Y, T Y L, not T O L. You know, you can say all that you want. The whole thing is on video. You know, how are you going to argue with that? That's where they were throwing out all the nonsense because it just wasn't going to work. And it was an unwinnable case. So are they going to appeal? I suppose. Maybe he has uh, money to appeal. You might as well. Uh, and they did say that, you know, people making prejudicial statements, including stupid Joe Biden weighing in on it and among many other elected officials when he just sort of said, you know, I'm really not going to say anything because it's not my place. But an appeals court could technically throw all these out. Now, as far as sentencing, we're going to know about the sentence in a few more months. He has no criminal history. And uh, Judge Peter Cahill uh, could, if he follows Minnesota sentencing guidelines, he could receive a 12-and-a-half-year sentence for the top charge. However... The maximum charge for second-degree murder is 40 years. But, again, he has no criminal record. Now, in this case, is the judge going to ignore all this, knowing that the people on the street are not going to be happy with a 12-and-a-half-year sentence? Very, very possible. We'll have to see. So what's the future like for Chauvin? Well, right now, he's being held in solitary confinement for 23 hours a day in Minnesota's only maximum security prison. He's 45 years old, by the way. And he was sent to this after the verdict was uh, read. Clearly, there's the fear for his safety. So he's been placed in this isolated wing of the prison. And he's going to be alone in this cell for all but one hour uh, each day, during which he is allowed to exercise. And he will be kept away, including on exercise, from all other prisoners. And remain under the watch of prison guards. I mean, do you think do you think he's going to kill himself? I mean, you remember he was married, and then like a couple days after the killing of George Floyd, his wife divorced him and everything else. Well, the court also set June sixteenth as the date for uh, his sentencing, and uh, just so you get an idea, this wing of this prison is known as the administrative control unit. The cells are small. They have basically a bench with a mattress pad, a toilet, and a tiny shower. And you can have uh, clothing, toothpaste, soaps, as well as pen and paper. In some cases, you can get books or magazines and newspapers, but that's only if prison officials approve. So, yeah, nice life. Now, going from that, let's talk a little bit about this teenage girl who was shot in Columbus, Ohio. 
And yeah, they released the body cam footage. The girl who was killed was identified as Makia Bryant, 16 years old. Apparently she was in foster care, but the mom was around. I don't know. See, because of the outrage on this case, none of the pertinent details that I want to know have been covered. Like, why was she in a foster family if her mom's around? Stuff like that. But you guys have all seen the video by now. The officer just gets out of his car. We got the body cam footage. And the officer had been responding to a 911 call about an attempted stabbing. And he walks up to a huge fight. And you see this person in a black shirt lunging at somebody who falls to the ground. And then she moves with what is a knife when you slow the video down towards someone in pink. And the officer did shout, get down, get down repeatedly. And then pulled a gun out. And in my opinion, in a remarkable display of poise and under pressure, fired four shots and did uh, kill Makia Bryant. What? She was literally in mid-stab. This knife was going to go right into that chick's neck if this cop didn't do anything. And boy, even I was shocked by the dishonest media on this one. I mean, guys, I know the media is worthless. I've covered them for a long time. I scream about them every week. Even I was shocked at how completely worthless the media was on this one. Literally, the activists were saying, hey, it's just a knife fight. Kids have knife fights. Let the kids have their knife fights. What's the big deal? Cops shouldn't get involved. I'm like, really? Really? Got this guy, and this wasn't just a few activists, you guys. This was like the prevailing sentiment on far left wing race grifter Twitter yesterday. This was on CNN. That's what they were saying. They were like, this is no big deal. This cop had no business pulling this gun. And they wanted, they were talking, well, why didn't he de-escalate? I'm like, dude, the time to de-escalate is not when the girl is in mid-thrust with the knife a a foot away from a chick's neck. You can't de-escalate at that point. You have to take action in the moment. And the cop did take action. It was just honestly shocking to me. Guys, I'm going to have a little bit more on this after the break. Stick around on the Jesse Kelly Show. I'm never going to lie to you behind the microphone, and I'll tell you this. I was a huge failure when I was trying to quit dipping. I I never got to a place where I wanted to quit because I enjoyed it so much. I just knew that I needed to quit. It's just something I knew, something you know deep down inside. You know it's true. I, I just couldn't do it. I tried cold turkey. Well, that didn't work at all. I tried just spacing it out more. That didn't work at all either. I tried sunflower seeds, bubble gum, the stupid nicotine patch. I tried it all. None of that gave me the fix of feeling like I had a dip in my lip, and that's really what I needed, and that's what Jake's Mint Chew does for you. They even have four different flavors of the CBD pouches that really take the edge off with no nicotine. Go to jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Use the promo code JESSE for 20% off. All right, 
right, let's go ahead and finish up here with uh, 16-year-old Makia Bryant from Ohio. As I was talking before the break, you guys. And finish the thought on here. As I said, activist Twitter was in a fury. And honestly, I don't know where we go from here. Because now it's clear that to the activists, no matter what the circumstances, if an officer is white and the uh, person who gets shot is black, it's always wrong. I mean, you can't have a better example than this. Literally, somebody's swinging a knife. And these people, they think like knives are like in the movies, you know, where you like get stabbed and it's all like neat and you can just pull it out and go on about your just no big deal. Knives are messy. Ask any cop. They're way more scared of knives than they are of guns. Uh, almost to because knives are unpredictable. They can really just maim you and mutilate you. Guns, you know, guns are hard to shoot accurately, especially handguns. You know, that's honestly what made this cop's uh, shooting so good. So uh, let's uh, keep going with this. Okay, the woman, here we go. I was asking about what this chick's living situation is. So she was living in a foster home. And uh, she was uh, interviewed. She said the uh, she said Makia Williams was her Makia. I'm sorry, Makia Williams. Makia Bryant. I'm getting my names mixed up here. Makia Bryant was her niece. So she said Makia uh, Bryant lived in a foster home and got into an altercation with somebody else at the home. So and again, this is right after the Chauvin verdict happened. And before anybody did anything, you know, all the scummy media does is put out, like, white cop shoots black girl, blah, 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 with no, like, kind of context to it at all. And it was just nonsense. The New York Times, indeed, in the article I'm looking at right now, that uh, grifter uh, trial attorney, Benjamin Crump, he was the George Floyd lawyer, he actually tweeted out right away, quote, As we breathed a collective sigh of relief today, a community in Columbus felt the sting of another police shooting, another child lost, another hashtag. And he went on to describe her as unarmed. I don't know why the New York Times doesn't include that in their quote of his tweet. You know what I'm saying? They, like, attached it like it's not relevant. Like, come on. And I like the New York Times mostly. So yeah, and it was just uh, and, and the 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 nonsense that went on afterwards was horrible. They released new footage today, and they got home security footage. If you guys haven't seen it, it's more of like a wide angle because the the first footage was the body cam, and this was home security footage taken from a garage across the street, and it judge it does show the shooting of Makia Bryant. And kind of shows the whole other thing. And the neighbor, Donovan Brinson, who handed the footage to police, said after viewing the footage, he believes more people could have died if the cop hadn't shot her. And you know what the sad thing is I noticed? First of all, we don't even know the name of the chick that this girl was trying to stab in the face. And even more sadly, I doubt we'll hear the mother of that child publicly thank the police officer for saving her daughter's life, if at a minimum saving her daughter from being horrifically wounded, maimed, anything, uh, because they're probably she's probably afraid of blowback from the activist community and Twitter, stupid Twitter. That's what rules everything now is stupid Twitter. 
And uh, it's just a tragedy. And again, I don't know where we go from here. Like, why would you want to be a cop in this day and age? They just want to throw you under the bus. And all the morons in the media and LeBron James, where they, they think you can just shoot somebody in the kneecap who's like moving at a full sprint. They really do. They've watched so many movies. It's so silly. And then stupid LeBron James, he tweets out a picture of the guy. And as soon as I saw this, I was like, this is going to be deleted. He tweets out a picture of the cop, who, by the way, is named Nicholas Reardon. He is a member of the Air Force, so like that. So LeBron James tweets out a picture of him with the caption, You're next. And, you know, he was trying to say, like, oh, no, I just meant, uh, you know, you're next as in the next cop to go on trial with the hashtag accountability. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, this is completely insane. LeBron James, imagine what you think you just committed. You just saved somebody's life as a police officer, right? In a horrific, turbulent situation. The next thing you know, one of the most famous people on the planet, what was he, have like 80 million Instagram followers, is tweeting out your picture saying you're next. And I was like, the NBA has got to step in here. And honestly, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Because there's not too many people who can talk to LeBron. LeBron James has been coddled his whole life. He's a giant idiot. He pretends he's like this big genius, which he's not. I used to like LeBron James, too. He was way out of line here. And I'm pretty much sure somebody in the NBA or somebody at Nike, maybe, somebody, after he sent that tweet out and it went all over, got him on the phone and was like, dude, what are you doing? And as far as the NBA, any cop going to go work the security at the NBA now? If I was a police chief, I wouldn't allow my cops within a mile of an NBA team or an arena. I'd be like, you go hire your own private security. You want to talk about our officers like that, who who do the thankless job they do day in and day out, saved another young black girl's, by the way, life, and this is the thanks they get. You're next. Completely unacceptable. Back with more after this on The Jesse Kelly Show. Your daughter doesn't want to talk about why her room is a horrible mess. Your son doesn't want to talk about why he's wearing mismatching socks. Your spouse doesn't want to talk about their bad haircut. (gasps) Families don't have to talk about everything, but they should talk to plan for an emergency. Pack basic supplies in a go bag, water, canned food, flashlights, batteries, medical supplies, IDs, and some cash. Talk about where you'll meet in case you lose one another. And of course, don't forget to pack the dog treats. Talk to your family and make an emergency plan. Go to nyc.gov slash readyny or call 311 to make your family's emergency plan. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. All right, let's finish up this hour of the Jesse Kelly Show. BK here with you guys. And, you know, the, I thought I saw this story, and it was fairly interesting. And then they really buried a little point at the bottom. 
And this is a story out of Chicago. They had an audit released by an inspector general in Chicago, and uh, it started. The story starts off fairly interesting. It's a Chicago Fire Department lieutenant. He was fired after the city's watchdog, the IG, determined that uh, he was uh, repeatedly sexually harassing a restaurant employee while on duty and in uniform, and uh, he was not identified. But, uh, I mean, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. He was calling the worker, like, you know, baby, sweetie, and hey, I'm going to marry you someday. Stuff like that. Okay, but then he messed up and he kissed him on the cheek. Okay, no big, not too sexy. But then way down at the bottom, they had a little tidbit tied in where they said they fired a truck driver for the Department of Water Management for pleasuring himself inside of a city-owned truck while on duty. And a resident of the neighborhood did record the driver performing the act. And I always love the excuses they make. No, 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 I was doing other stuff. Uh, He said first that he spilled a drink on himself and later that he was urinating into a bottle. Okay, guys, more after this on The Jesse Kelly Show. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Back on the Jesse Kelly Show. BK here filling in for Jesse for the day. Host of World News with BK. You guys can find my weekly podcast covering the entire globe. All uh, all your streaming platforms such as Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and all the rest. So why don't we keep going and get you a little coronavirus update. So we have a total reported case count in the United States of 31,950,000. 674. It is starting to decline again after that brief uptick the last few weeks. And the total reported deaths in the United States is 569,869. Now, the 14-day change in the number of cases reported is minus 6%, and the 14-day change in the number of deaths reported is minus 2%. So case numbers have been kind of stagnating, declining slightly. Around 67,000 new infections are being identified each day. That is down from about 250,000 daily at the January peak. Now, the worst state currently in the union for the coronavirus is Michigan uh, for weeks now. Hospitalizations continue to rise and are approaching record levels. Uh, Cases are surging in Puerto Rico. The territory is averaging there more than 1,000 cases a day. That is far more than any point in the pandemic thus far. Uh, But cases, deaths, and hospitalizations are falling in New York. They were hit really bad, obviously. All adults in every state 
are now eligible for a vaccine, regardless of pre-existing conditions, age, anything else. More than 3 million doses are being administered uh, each day. So that is very good. Let's go to our live updates page here. And let me scroll through this and see what's new. Well, for one, the Johnson Johnson vaccine, you guys probably heard that that was kind of on the shelf for a little while. It was stupidly, in my opinion, because they had they had like what, like six cases of blood clots out of like six million administered doses. And there was no proof that those clots were even tied to the doses. And they, you know what? I'm tired of the people for a perfect world here. I really, whether whether you're on the vaccine side, whether you're on the coronavirus side, because now we have a whole cottage industry of people who are like, no, 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 we can't live life as long as one person gets an infection. And conversely, we have the, no, we can't give a vaccine if one person has a side effect. I mean, it's just absurd. This is not a perfect world, people. We have to live our lives. And I'm just sick of it. You take a statistics class for God's sakes. Well, South Africa for one will resume the use of the Johnson Johnson vaccine. And uh, they need to do that because they've had some serious issues in South Africa and trying to get that the, all their healthcare workers uh, vaccinated. And in the United States, federal officials indeed do appear to be leaning towards lifting the recommended pause. Uh, they say they'll probably attach a warning to it. Okay, fine. Give a warning. Uh, I mean, I'm personally, I'm pro-science and pro-statistics. And I took the vaccine a long time ago. I was happy to take it. And now I don't care. For me, the pandemic's over. I don't really care at all. Uh, now, as far as other places in the world, India has a rapidly worsening coronavirus outbreak. Yeah, they've, they've been getting hit hard. And remember, India was hailed early on. People were terrified that it was really going to run rampant through India because of the tight living conditions and, you know, the billion people. And it was seemed like they were doing a good job on it, but now it's really bursting out. The health ministry there has reported more than 310,000 new infections on Thursday. That is the highest number of cases recorded in any single country on a single day during the pandemic. That beats the previous one-day high record of 300,669 cases. That was recorded in the United States on January 8th. And you know what the funny thing is, though? We have to take all these case numbers with a grain of salt because a lot of people had this, never knew it, never got tested, never got the antibody test. I myself uh, tested positive for coronavirus. I never even would have known I had it. At all. And they said, oh, yeah, you're, you're positive. I was like, really? I felt fine. I, I never would have even known. So they they say, I've, I've heard through various interviews and reading and such, that you have to take the number of cases, and it's probably actually four times that, the number of people have actually had it and just never knew, you know, felt a little crappy last January for a few days and just brushed it off as the flu. But that was probably it. So we've had way more cases in the actual listed case numbers. So India is getting hit hard. Uh, so uh, the death toll in India 
Well, on Thursday, at least, they recorded 2,104 deaths. That's less than the worst points that we had, but that's a big increase in India from just two months ago when fewer than 100 people daily were dying. And you can imagine that their health system, probably not great. As a matter of fact, on Tuesday, at least 22 people died in an accident in the central city of Nashik when a leak in the hospital's main oxygen tank cut the flow of oxygen to COVID-19 patients on ventilators. In early February, India was recording an average of just 11,000 cases a day. And more than 132 million Indians have received at least one dose of the vaccine, but supplies are running low. So... Uh, now they say, you know, critics are going after Prime Minister Narendra Modi. He did impose a harsh nationwide, nationwide lockdown in March 2020, and he was praised for doing that. But they now say he kind of uh, took it for granted, and he opened up too quick. Uh, let's see, where else around the world? France outlined plans to gradually start reopening the country in May. Uh, they hope so, because the pandemic appears to be improving in France. Hospitalizations seem to have plateaued. And like everywhere else, they have pandemic fatigue in France, and they've had lots of protests just like they've uh, had in the United States. Uh, Let's see. Germany approved a new version of a law on Thursday boosting the federal government's power to enforce coronavirus lockdowns. Mm, uh Uh-oh. And uh, Japan has canceled the annual, I'm sorry, biennial Tokyo Motor Show because of rising coronavirus cases. This is the first cancellation in the 67-year history of the event. This comes as Japan reported 5,291 new infections. That's the highest daily total in three months. And, of course, we're supposed to have the Tokyo Olympics coming up. Organizers have insisted that the Tokyo Olympics that are supposed to begin in July will go on, uh, but officials are already making plans to impose emergency measures there. And meanwhile, in the rest uh, over in Europe, the European Union will not order an extra 100 million vaccines from AstraZeneca. Uh, this uh, is seen to kind of underscore the bad relationship between AstraZeneca and the European Union uh, because the EU is in this dispute with AstraZeneca over their inability to deliver expected doses, that is, AstraZeneca's expected doses, which has set the EU's vaccination efforts back significantly. They're actually considering suing AstraZeneca. So, yeah, guys, get the vaccine. Let's freaking get back to normal. I'm tired of it. Uh, I'm in California. We've been locked down longer than anyone, and still, we have a lot of limits here. So, let's uh, get it going and get back to normal. More after this on the Jesse Kelly Show. Jake's Mint Chew. That is the way you're going to quit dipping tobacco. It's the way you're going to quit smoking. But 
Let me talk to the friends and family members of the dippers and smokers right now. Try giving some Jake's mint chew away instead of giving a lecture. I know you only want what's best for that person you love. I know. But I'm here to tell you, pointing a finger at somebody and telling them that they have to quit and it's bad for them and things like that, that's not an effective way. Instead, why don't you give them real actual help? And you don't have to feel guilty about giving them Jake's Mint Chew either because it's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And it actually works. It actually works. Go to jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Use the promo code JESSE at checkout. That's J-E-S-S-E. That gets you 20% off. Go help them quit. Guys, before the break, I was talking about your coronavirus update. I did want to uh, have a couple saved rounds on that one. I wanted to talk about some of the tangential effects of the pandemic. You know, it's not just all people who get sick and die. And sadly, you know, people who are elderly and have underlying health conditions, and that's the vast majority of people who got sick and died, uh, that happens, especially when you're obese. Uh, which was probably next to age the next number one qualifier, which is why I'm always yelling on the podcast about maintaining that jacked and tan lifestyle. You know, it's not all just jokes. You know, you guys hear me joking about the ab veins and the great hair, the bronze, tan skin, a color not found in nature. And you think it's like a joke, and it is somewhat. But I'm also trying to prove a point, which is that you have to maintain that lifestyle because the more fit you are, the better your diet is, the less crap you're shoveling down your stomach, the better chance you have to ward off any disease. And that includes a coronavirus. So I would encourage all of you to do that as well. And trust me, most of you are eating too much. I mean, (laughs) California is bad enough. Honestly, it's shocking when I go to like the Midwest. I'm not trying to insult the great people there, but, you know, I'm just saying. I've done, you know, I've done a lot of military training in the Midwest, and I go out to the Walmart in the Midwest, and I'm like, good Lord, what are you eating? And whatever it is, it's way too much. It's just too much, okay? I'll, I'll make you a deal. Eat as much as you want of chicken, beef, and vegetables, okay? You can eat as much as you want. I'll make that deal with you. Don't even try to control the portions, but you can't eat anything else. How's that deal? I guarantee you if you did that and you walked five miles a day, you'd be reasonably fit. As a matter of fact, my, uh, let's see, a lot of you guys ask me all the time, you're like, BK, what's your workout? Look, I mean, look at you. You you have the shoulders of a Greek god. You've got uh, arm veins rippling down the 18-inch pythons. I mean, how do you do it, BK, especially as a man in your 40s? And I'll tell you, it's not easy. I put in the work. Well, it's not that complicated. Honestly, one of the here's okay, here's your easy exercise. This is what I, this was my workout before I did this radio show. I have, because our gyms, well, the gym, I go to the gym on base and it's still locked down to all but active duty and I'm a retiree, so I still can't go on. So I haven't been to a gym in over a year. Fortunately, I have two 
53-pound kettlebells. And I take them out in the alley, and I do farmer's carries with them. What's that mean? I pick them up, and I walk down the alley with them. I know, it's super complicated, right? And then when I get to the end of the alley, I drop, and I do 15 to 20 push-ups. And then I pick them up, and I walk all the way back down the other end of the alley. And this time, I take one of them and lift it over my head 10 times. You know, you try guys track what I'm saying? Like, for the overhead presses. You do that about 20 times, a couple times a week, and you will be jacked. At least you will be prepped for the beach. And you combine that with eating just meat and vegetables, a little fruit here and there. Dude, you guys will have ab veins crawling down your hips into your thighs. You will have uh, shockingly younger women. <laughs> inappropriately inappropriately age differentiated women coming up to you and demanding to know how you with the gray beard did it and it's really not that hard okay so i don't know how i got on that subject you guys but i went like most of the i went most of the segment on that but that's okay uh, here's what i wanted to talk about i want to talk about some of the ripple effects and one of them was the drinking. I know that I drank tremendously more uh, during the lockdown. And we've been drinking more as Americans than we have in decades past. In uh, 2020, researchers found that from 1999 through 2017, per capita alcohol consumption increased by 8%, and the number of alcohol-related deaths doubled, many caused by liver disease. And uh, they say women are of particular concern because the number of men who reported any drinking stayed most of the same, but the proportion of women who did so increased 10%. So, and the number of women who reported binge drinking or consuming roughly four or more drinks in about two hours, I know everybody's like shaking their head going, that it, that's nothing. Well, that for women increased by 23%. By the way, for men, binge drinking is defined as five or more drinks in that period. So alcohol sales, as you guys know, spiked during the pandemic. And um, they said, yes, a growing body of research has begun to confirm that Americans and women in particular are indeed drinking more. And... They said that on, an, uh, on a questionnaire that was conducted last week, and this is by Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Health, that mostly women and of the 800 people who responded, and 60% were drinking more compared with than before COVID-19. And they said it was uh, increased stress. And why wouldn't you be? You know, the isolation, the lockdowns, all this crap. Yeah, it's not good. And that what alcohol wasn't the only one. We also had to deal with overdose deaths. And more than, get this, more than 87,000 Americans died of drug overdoses over the 12-month period that ended last September. This is according to the New York Times and according to preliminary federal data. That blows away the 12-month total from any year since the opioid epidemic began in the 1990s. 
and this has gone largely unremarked upon because everybody's been obsessed with this virus uh, that kills the old and the obese. And uh, deaths from overdoses started rising again in the months leading up to the coronavirus pandemic. It's still hard to say how closely the two phenomenon are tied together, but it makes sense, right? And the biggest jump in overdose deaths took place in April and May. And that's when we really didn't know a lot about the virus and everybody was like freaking out. Uh, They said this was a 29% increase in overdose deaths from October 2019 through September 20 compared with the previous 12-month period. Primary drivers, illicitly manufactured fentanyl, other synthetic opioids, but a lot of the other fatal overdoses have also involved stimulant drugs, uh, drugs, particularly methamphetamine. And unlike in the early years of the opioid epidemic, that was when deaths were largely among white Americans in rural and in uh, you know suburbs, right? Well, this current crisis is affecting black Americans disproportionately. The National Institute on Drug Abuse said the highest increase in mortality from opioids predominantly driven by fentanyl is now among black Americans. And the risk of dying from methamphetamine overdoses is 12 times higher among American Indians and Alaskan Natives than any other group. That's insane. Yep. That's too bad. During the Trump administration, several billion dollars in grants to states allowed more drug users to get access to the three FDA-approved medications for opioid addiction, like methadone. Uh, But, yeah. Yeah. It's just not going well, and they do say that more people have been using drugs more often during the pandemic, and this is why, guys. It's loneliness, it's isolation, it's the lockdown, it's unemployment, it's all the rest, It's uh, and it's chilling. Back with more on the Jesse Kelly Show after this. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
let's get back to some international news on the Jesse Kelly Show. BK here, filling in for Jesse. And how about this headline? Not something you see every day. Man is on trial in Madrid, Spain for killing and eating his own mother. <laughs> Freaking nut, dude. This is uh, Alberto Sanchez Gomez. And he was arrested in 2019 after police went to the home of his 66-year-old mother following concerns from a friend. And police say they found body parts scattered around the apartment. Some were kept in plastic containers. And the defendant told the court he does not remember dismembering and, yes, eating his mother. He is reported to have been suffering from a personality disorder, (laughs) writes the BBC. And guess what, shockingly enough, does have a drug habit. Uh, Spanish media say he had been known to police because of violence against his mother, Maria Soledad Gomez, and that he had breached a restraining order at the time of his arrest. So the court is now hearing of the macabre scene that police found at the home in eastern Madrid. And you know what? Some of they said some of the human remains were actually in the process of being cooked, and others were stored in containers. Like he had, he has mom and Tupperware, dude. Oh, damn! Talk about suffering from the lockdown. Yeah, he said he did confess to strangling his mother, and he said he had sometimes eaten the body parts. And so, no. Sometimes giving them to the dog. Oh, boy. Alberto. No bueno. No, no bueno, Alberto. Let's let's keep going. Let's go back to Pakistan here. A powerful explosion, apparently from a suicide bomber, did hit a luxury hotel in southwest Pakistan. This is not just some dump. So hotel is frequented by high-level guests. They said at least four people have been killed and 12 wounded, and they say China's ambassador to Pakistan may have missed the blast by mere minutes. That ambassador, great name, Nong Rong, N-O-N-G, R-O-N-G, was leading a child Chinese delegation that had been visiting there, he was staying at this hotel called the Serena. And it's in the city of Keta. And uh, they did uh, tell the local news media the Chinese were staying at the Serena Hotel. They were not present at the hotel at the time of the attack. And the Chinese delegation was safe. All the casualties were of Pakistani nationals. Now, it's not clear if the Chinese visitors were the target, which... Uh, this attack, by the way, was claimed by the Pakistani Taliban. They are known as the TTP, or the tariq e taliban pakistan But the group's statement of responsibility said a suicide bomber had intended to strike a meeting of, quote, locals and foreigners, end quote, at the Serena Hotel. If you didn't know, China is considered an important ally of Pakistan and has taken several infrastructure projects on along with a deep seaport in this same province where the hotel is located. So uh, they're, they're still debating whether this was actually carried out by a suicide bomber. Uh, some officials said the initial explosion 
was actually done by explosives that had been inside a vehicle that exploded in the uh, parking lot. So, yeah, Pakistan, man, that's no good. What else? The United Nations is reporting a surge of migrant children entering Mexico, destined for the United States. What do you know? <laughs> of course, they see Sleepy Joe building hotels and providing teachers and have free health care and free food and free everything. And they're like, yeah, let's go. Why? And wouldn't you do the same thing? Of course you would. That's what I'm saying. You have to turn the, the, the you, this is one, this is like the, the vagrancy problem. Once one tent pops up in the park, you have to tr- get rid of it immediately. Otherwise, what's the next thing you have? Next thing you got two tents and then four tents and then a hundred. If they would have just put in a policy of immediately, you know, checking the kids out, making sure everybody's well fed, give them some booster shots and put them right back on a plane, put them right back then this would have been futile. And and this isn't just me saying this. All these people are being interviewed at the border by Univision and all the Spanish-speaking media. All these people are saying, like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have done this during the Trump administration, but Biden said to come on in. And he has, through actions and words. And the number of children arriving in Mexico seeking to continue the United States increased ninefold from January to March. Of this year, about 275 enter every day. That's just unaccompanied minors. Uh, they have about 3,500 at the end of March from 380 to the start of the year. And uh, yeah, they just can't control the border, and they're just not going to because there's no there's no stick. You know, you got the carrot and the stick. There's no stick. There's no punishment. If you make it here, then you're welcomed with shelter, transportation, food, health care, and education. So why wouldn't you do it? Uh, Yes. It's unclear about what Mexico is going to do. Human smugglers across Central America are making huge money. I can't remember the exact dollar amount per day. I did a story on the podcast, World News with BK. A few weeks ago, I covered the border pretty regularly, and it was a staggering amount of money per day that the cartels are making. And everybody who goes to the U.S.-Mexico border most assuredly is paying the cartel. Now, luckily, Joe has not lost his mind completely. We still have kept in place that order called Title 42. That was introduced by the Trump administration, and that means we can turn back people immediately as a health measure amid the pandemic. Normally, under normal circumstances, if you don't know, we could only do that to Mexican nationals. We could, If we caught a Mexican national at the border, we could immediately turn him back and deport him. If it was anybody other than a Mexican, and they called them OTMs, other than Mexican, they, under federal law, would have to be given a court date and cut loose to be shown up for an asylum hearing. But now because of this Title 42, we are able to turn back people because it's considered an emergency. Now, Joe Biden has kept Title 42. On the other hand, he is not using Title 42 very often on unaccompanied minors or families. Uh, I, I believe most families are still allegedly being turned back, but who even freaking knows?
at this point. Can I say free? I can say freaking, right? You know, I've been good so far. You guys, usually the podcast is a little bit more R-rated. Uh, so I got to be careful. And how about this? Crypto investors get a little bit of a shock. I know a lot of you guys are into the Bitcoin and the Dogecoin. And no, I'm not putting all my portfolio in a Doge. I know. The guys, don't chase trends. As your financial advisor, yes, I do have a fine social justice warrior college education and finance. I would tell you, I know it's easy to look at all the gains that people make, but don't chase trends. Don't get into something late. When the 7-Eleven clerk is talking about a stock, that's the time to get out. It's definitely not the time to get in. I'll tell you that right now. But anyway, the Ministry of Corporate Affairs in India has, after weeks of speculation, circulated a draft bill that would ban cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Yeah. It has been delayed, but this uh, could be a huge blow to uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency. The draft bill seeks to prohibit mining, holding, selling, trade, issuance, disposal, or use of cryptocurrency. If you don't adhere to it, 10 years in prison. How about that one for your portfolio? Okay, guys, more after this on The Jesse Kelly Show. Pure thunderstorm. Listen to me. I have had air purifiers forever because I have terrible allergies. And I, the other ones I had would help a little. And so I had to have them. And they were always the big ones you can picture the big two or three foot air purifiers that sit in your room and sound like an airplane taking off. Then somebody told me about the Eden Pure thunderstorm. It is quiet. It only takes up a tiny amount of space because it just sits in the wall outlet. Only this thing has actually taken care of my allergies completely. It also kills and prevents the spreading of mold and fungus and mildew. It takes smells out of the air. It took the smells out of my son's room. If you only knew what a feat that was. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. That's EdenPureDeals.com. Use the code word JESSE at checkout. That gets you 10 bucks off. All right, back here on the Jesse Kelly Show. BK here filling in. Uh, let's keep going with some quick stories, you guys. Let's talk about this Tesla crash. In Texas, you hear about this? Two men were killed after a Tesla. They were in crashed and caught fire, and apparently neither one of the men was behind the wheel. And they said they that they do believe the officials, all the investigators say that they believe that nobody was driving the vehicle at the time of the crash. Now, the vehicle was a 2019 Tesla Model S going at a high rate of speed around 11.30 at night and went off the road, hit a tree. Uh, The men were 59 and 69 years old. One guy was in the front passenger seat, and one was in the rear seat. And uh, they were apparently minutes before the crash, the guy's wives watched them leave, said they wanted to go for a drive, and they were talking about the vehicle's autopilot autopilot feature. Guys, I I loved the Tesla. I've strongly thought about getting one. 
I would never be comfortable using the autopilot without, I don't know, my hands on the wheel. And then what's the point? You know, I, I just, I can't see myself like just chilling in a car going like 75 down the freeway. And then it was hard to put out the fire because it took four hours to put out the fire and it took more than 30,000 gallons of water. And they think it's because of the crazy uh, batteries that these things have. And it's unbelievable technology. But, uh, yeah, they, they got in contact with Tesla. And they were... There, there's some mystery to this now. Because Elon Musk uh, basically said that... Uh, well, they haven't really commented. They have not released a statement about the crash. But... Its CEO, Elon Musk, Tesla's CEO, did put out a responding tweet earlier in the week. Uh, he, he, he wrote that the car's owner had not purchased Tesla's, quote, full self-driving, end quote, capability. That is a $10,000 add-on that the company says can steer the car through lane changes, slow down at red lights, and park automatically. And he says that the autopilot was not enabled uh, because here, and here's the controversy because Tesla's instructions explain that autopilot still requires what they call active supervision. A driver must agree to keep their hands on the wheel to turn on autopilot, right? But now a story that just came out right before I started recording this that I looked into, I was you know checking up on. Uh, Consumer Reports said in testing, they said they could get a 2020 Tesla Model Y at least to drive even with no one in the driver's seat. Did they say how they could do this? Uh, Oh, well, they they said they tricked the system. They said they put a weighted chain on the wheel, and they kept the seatbelt buckled on the driver's seat. Hmm. So, yeah, can you, uh, there's no way I would crawl into the backseat of a Tesla and be like, oh, yeah, go 80 miles an hour down this road. No way. Okay, a few other quick stories. A Supreme Court has upheld life without parole sentences for juveniles. They shot down a Mississippi man's bid to overturn a life sentence he got for killing his grandfather at the age 15. Uh, The majority ruled, 6-3, to that a judge does not have to find a defendant beyond rehabilitation to issue such a term. Uh, this was in the case of, at the time, 15-year-old Brett Jones. Nice neck tattoo. And he fatally stabbed his 68-year-old grandfather. He was convicted of murder in 2005, sentenced to life without parole, and resentenced to 2015. Hmm. Yeah, see, I would, I'm old-fashioned. I would much rather go with physical punishment. I think it's far crueler, actually, to lock somebody up. You know, go back to the lash. Go back to the, you know, the gallows or the, you know, the, the stocks. The stocks is a good one because, you know, you stick a guy in the stocks. You know, that's when you put your, like, head and hands, you know, through the wood board. And everybody can just walk by and, like, laugh at you and stuff. Very humiliating. I think, I mean, dudes would rather do 10 years in prison than be subject to, like, one week in the stocks. Uh, what else? A police officer of the Norfolk Police Department in Virginia was fired for giving $25 to Kyle Rittenhouse's defense fund. You remember Kyle Rittenhouse? He was the teenager charged with killing two people last year during protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin. 
Well, Lieutenant William Kelly, his 20-year career is over after 25 a $25 donation. Uh yeah, this is this is pretty messed up. He was in internal affairs too. And they basically this came as a group hacked into the GoFundMe or whatever it was, whatever uh whatever fundraising site he used and they got a list of names. And the media was going around confronting all these people and publishing their names. And this is notable because Twitter supposedly has a hacked materials policy, which is nonsense. It was Give, Send, Go was the crowdfunding site. But yeah, this watchdog group hacked the site, or they said they got it from somebody who hacked the site, and they shared the material to the New York Times. The New York Times uh, outed the guy. And they said uh, basically it was because he used his work email. But please, I'm sure other people have used their work emails to donate to stuff. But because those are uh, not as unwoke as Rittenhouse, then it's fine. And, uh, yeah, you just got to be careful. Don't use your work email for anything, that's for sure. Okay, guys, we'll be back to finish up strong on The Jesse Kelly Show. BK here filling in. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. All right, guys, last segment, BK here sitting in for Jesse. And you know I like to finish on a high note. Uh, Here we go. I vaguely remember the story. This is out here in California in Orange County. And, yes, a 22-year-old burglar has pleaded guilty. I know what you're thinking. Well, that's boring. Well, listen to what happened, though. This was Jonathan Jose Ruiz of Orange County broke into a home in 2018. He was 19 years old at the time. And it was apparently a female home. She, uh, Ruiz stole underwear from the victim and then ate their cookies and drank their milk. And then Jose apparently got a little worked up and uh, he decided to download some pornography using the victim's laptop and uh, take a little break, if you know what I mean. And uh, police were able to easily identify him from the DNA evidence that was left on the device's keyboard. And I think you guys can probably track what I'm uh, laying out here for you. Yes, what you're thinking is correct. I'll just put it that way. There's your big finish. 
really want to thank Jesse for letting me hang out here. Really uh, like our our time together on Tuesdays. And thanks to you to producer Chris for putting the show together. That's all I got, you guys. World News with BK. Go check it out. That's all I got. Thank you. Jesse Kelly Show. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.